At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Troy News and Absolute Magician Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today, Dan Lyons and special guest Lisa Nelson. Hey kids. How's it going, everyone? Super. Lisa, you get to be the first female in the John led era of the podcast. I like it. So uh thanks for breaking down the barriers. Thank you very much for having me. One day we'll be building a statue of Lisa because of this crowning achievement. Just make sure to do it while I'm still alive, because that seems to be what everybody likes. That's the only way you can enjoy it, apparently. Yeah, because uh, naming a basketball court after me and having my own custom suit with said basketball court as the lining apparently isn't enough. <laughs> Charity is math, guys. Charity is math. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, a lot going on this week, it seems, despite the fact that uh, we haven't had a game since Saturday. Um, I guess we'll go over the Miami game. I know, Lisa, you kind of dug uh, pretty deep into the Miami game um, the other day. So I guess I'll start off with you. Uh, you broke down a couple interesting statistics for us. Uh, what was the one thing, I think, out of all of those that really, uh, really stuck out to you from the Miami game? Um. Well, on the Syracuse end, it had to be the free throws attempted, especially with Grant. I mentioned um, in the post earlier that Grant had an ungodly amount of free throw attempts. I mean, the kid averages less than six, and he doubled it. He absolutely doubled it. And and it ended up being a key in the game, and, and a lot of times I think we forget that not only does the, the free throws that you are up against, not only is that meaning that you're getting to the line, but it means that the other team is racking up fouls. So if Grant is getting to the line, I don't know, was it three or four times in the first few minutes of the game, that's three or four fouls on Miami already. And granted, you're not necessarily in the bonus or the double bonus at that stage, but a couple fouls on certain people that early will really serve to help Syracuse later on in tight games or down the stretch when you need, you need someone to foul out or you need Miami or whatever team to play a little bit less aggressively because they're playing with too many fouls. And it's key not only for the points that you're scoring – but also for the way that people are playing at the end of the games in tight situations like that. But as for the um, Miami end of it, I mean, their three-point shooting was ridiculous. They shot just under 53% from three, and we've said all the time that a way to beat the zone is to really nail some threes, and they did. Um, Thank God Syracuse's defense really clamped down at the end because there wouldn't have been a single way for them to, to miss. I think at one point, a Miami, I can't remember which player it was, but there was a Miami player who was trying to throw an alley-oop. I'm convinced it was they were trying to throw an alley-oop and the ball just went in. Those are things that you just can't, they couldn't miss. And thank God that Syracuse was able to slow it down enough and do enough on defense to prevent them from getting enough shots off. Dan, I think the, uh, I actually think the Durant uh, didn't have a line point um, could end up being really big this weekend because the two guys who, at least I'm most worried about, are, are obviously uh, Jabari Parker and, and Rodney Hood. And Durant's gonna draw one of their, you know, one of those two guys on defense, assuming Duke plays mostly man. But you know, they've been playing a lot of zone this year. So if, if and and Miami is playing zone, which is generally harder to rack up fouls against uh, or draw that many fouls against um, than a man defense. So if, if Grant into the line and and put uh, a little bit of foul trouble on on Parker or Hood, that'll be a Really bid this weekend, not to not to overshadow the weight game coming up tomorrow, but I think most of us are. Might be, I mean, maybe we're looking a little ahead to Duke because it should be a fun one. Yeah, and I mean, guys, to uh, you know, follow up uh, your guys' points. I mean, Syracuse only committed 11 fouls on the game, and as a result, Miami only attempted 11 free throws. Um, the starters for Miami were only uh, two for six from the line, uh, which to me, I think, you know what, like. 
committing 11 fouls, I mean, isn't that bad to begin with, but to only have 11 uh, free throw attempts as a result is even better. I think the, the real, real big difference for me was uh, was rebounding. I think that's really what, uh, what kept us in the game um, when things seemed like they were getting a little out of hand and then kind of would help us seal the deal. Uh, we had 39 rebounds in the game to just 25 to 24 for Miami, um, and 14 of them were on the offensive end, which I know we've said this a couple times now this season, like offensive end, you know, rebounds, we're just getting a hell of a lot more than normal, and, I mean, most of that's attributable uh, to Jeremy Grant. But, you know, C.J. Fair was also really active um, on the boards as well, and Joaquin Christmas was when he was in. Uh, so for me, I guess like those two factors in particular really are really glaring. And if, if we can repeat things like that um, against most teams, I'd say we have a pretty decent shot at winning. I'd like to think so, but the uh, the rebounding is definitely something that Syracuse has been traditionally not so good at. Um, of course, you can cite rebounding out of the zone is always hard, and that's all well and good, but you know that going in. So I feel like at a certain point in time, you should either figure it out or try a little harder um, and I have got to credit Ikea's attempts on there. He was really killing it on the boards against Miami, and it's it's nice to see that, especially when Coleman's out. Um, not necessarily that he you know was a significant contributor on the rebounding end, but for By to understand that we need a little bit more from him, and for him to show up there, that's great, especially against a team like Miami. And he can be a guy where sometimes he just cannot grab a ball, so. Uh, not just on offense, but even rebounding. He bats a lot around, so it was nice to see him more sure-handed on, on a lot of those loose balls and, and the, the boards. And we had three different players who racked up three more offensive rebounds. Um, I don't have the numbers to back this up, but I do feel like we've been rebounding better in league play somehow. Yeah, Miami's a pretty big team, too. They're not – I don't know how they are actually, like, rebounding-wise, but they're not, like, undersized by any means. So I think that's a pretty I good think- sign. I can tell you how they are rebounding-wise because that's what I do. Um, Miami averages, or coming into the Syracuse game, they were averaging 35 rebounds a game, um, about 11 offensive and 24 on defense. So they were averaging right around uh, what Syracuse normally averages, which is, you know, 35 rebounds a game. But Syracuse was up a few, and Miami was certainly down a few. So that seemed to be the difference. Well, I think, you know what, um, I think you are right, Lisa. I don't think it's going to be something we can uh, replicate over and over again. But, I mean, think with an eye on our upcoming games. Um, you know, Wake isn't huge by any means. And Duke, uh, I just think their their defense in general, especially on the perimeter, is just ghastly. So, I, th- I think for me, um, while we might not be able to keep it up long over the long haul, I do see us being able to at least, continue it for a few more games, and uh, we'll jump back to Wake at some point. But I guess going into Duke a little bit, uh, I don't know how much of the game last night you guys watched between um, Pitt and Duke, but Duke's scorers are frightening. And, I mean, this is this is very much the team that we thought they were going to be, um, you know, early in the season rather than the kind of slumping one at the beginning of ACC play. So, uh, you know, Dan, what was, I guess, your biggest takeaway from that game, whether you watched the full thing, whether you are going off box score? Uh, I got to see a, I was watching the game here and there. I didn't get to sit down and, like, watch the whole thing through, but I caught most of the important, you know, parts of it. Um, it was uh, it was just kind of weird to see Pitt, um, a team that, you know, has been kind of playing within its own identity for a couple of years now or for a while now. Uh, and Duke just went into their into the peat, which is an incredibly ho- tough place to play, and totally seemed to, uh, especially in the second half, totally seemed to dictate exactly how the game was going to go. It wasn't usually Pitt is able to drag teams down in the mud with them, and and this year or uh, yesterday rather, Duke just kind of played their game and and took it right to Pitt. So it was, you know, it was it was definitely a little nerve wracking knowing that Duke's coming up on the schedule, but they haven't been consistent this year, so. I mean, it's not like we didn't know they weren't talented before last night. So it, it is what it is. It uh, doesn't make me any really more or less worried. It just, uh, you know, maybe I would have rather had them coming in uh, playing, you know, being more cold. But maybe uh, this helps, you know, refocus the team if they watch that game last night. Um, Dude's good. So 
not, no real new information. It was a little bit startling to see how, how well they handled Pitt down the stretch, though, because that game was really never in doubt once Duke took control at the, uh, in the middle of the second half. You know, Dan, I, I agree with that a lot. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Dan said. Um, being worried about Parker and Hood is definitely something um, significant, especially because Parker seems that even though he might be in a little bit of an offensive slump, um, or at least seem to be, he's not he's not stopping his contributions elsewhere. He's finding other ways. He's rebounding, he's getting a lot of putbacks. And as for Hood, um, he's pretty much what everybody expected him to be, dynamite, shooter, extremely explosive. Um, but one person I think that we need to focus on and not forget about is Andre Dawkins because he's just starting. I feel like he's starting to get it together, and that's part of the reason that Duke is starting to get it together. Um, he was, what, uh, something like six for seven from three against Pittsburgh? It was it was unbelievable. He could not miss. And he seems to be um, a little bit more explosive than I expected. He's certainly more comfortable now after his redshirt year. I think it just took him some time to adjust. But the three of them together are definitely a trifecta of scorers and aggressive players that we need to start worrying about. But what bothered me the most about that game was even in the first half, I know the second half it really got away from Pittsburgh, but in the first half, Duke sped Pittsburgh up. That's what they did. The end. They made them play at a frenetic pace. They got them out of their comfort zone. Not that Pitt is necessarily a slow-it-down basketball team, but they like to play at their own pace. And because their point guard is not a senior experienced point guard, they're not able to control a tempo when someone speeds them up. Someone with a little bit more athleticism who might make them feel like they're being bullied, is approaching them and making them go faster. So it's something that worries me to an extent with Syracuse is that Duke was able to speed a Pittsburgh team up. But then, you know, you look at Tyler Ennis and you've got to wonder, he hasn't been sped up yet this season, so hopefully that's something that we won't have to worry about. You know, I I think it's funny because I feel like the only time I've seen Syracuse really, like, completely out of sorts this year was the Miami game. When things weren't sped up, it was just simply, um, you know, a rash of turnovers in a very small, finite space, and and then some very hot shooting from Miami. Um, and then, obviously, the Villanova game that I felt they, they did a very nice job of speeding us up um, and at the beginning. It resulted in just a lot of mistakes, a lot of poor shots. We recovered, and then some, because then when we started playing at that, that pace, I felt like, you know, we, we kind of settled in very nicely. And I think that because of that experience, I actually think we're pretty well prepared for Duke. Um, but you guys did bring up, you know, an interesting point. Um, Andre Dawkins, I mean, hyper-efficient um, play last night. 15 minutes, 7 for 9 from the field, 6 for 7 from 3. Um, I mean, he pretty much just went out there and was just an absolute assassin um, from beyond the arc. Um, and, you know, what the Duke team has lacked up, up until, like, very recently, at least, was, you know, a scoring option be- beyond Parker and uh, Rodney Hood and maybe some uh, nights that's uh, Jefferson, maybe some nights that's Dawkins, um, Marshall Plumley could show up in the middle uh, at some point. But for the most part, like, th- this is slowly rounding into a team that could have three or maybe even four options, and that's really um, – you know, where they're going to succeed. I think defensively, like we've said there, they, they just they can't defend the perimeter that well. And I, I definitely see uh, both there and Venus kind of being able to, to slash through. But it, it's not as if Duke's not going to be able to, um, you know, keep up the scoring pace, which is, which is I think, the big concern. Also, um, I mean, I don't think we can play this game, but it is an, an interesting it was an interesting tack by Duke um, to really get Pitt out of its element. Um, I don't think we can again. I don't think we can repeat it um, when we head down to Pittsburgh. But uh, I think it's worth taking some notes, um, at least that that there is there is a way to beat the Panthers um, in that arena. I know we haven't done much of it lately, but it can <laughs> happen, and maybe this is the year. You know, I mean, that's so reminiscent. I was uh, I was listening to a different podcast earlier and they were saying that, you know, Clemson has never beat UNC at UNC. And not that 
Syracuse has never beat Pittsburgh at the peak, but I'm I'm really struggling to remember the last time they did, or the last time that it wasn't just it, it makes me nervous to go in there, and I don't I don't like that. And as far as taking them out of their comfort zone, it seemed to be that speeding them up was the way to do it, and Syracuse does not play that way. They don't speed people up, you know, whether that's good or bad. You know, Tyler Ennis pushes the pedal when he needs to, but that's not his nature. It's not like they'd be comfortable playing at that pace the entire game. So unless we can find another way, speaking, you know, weeks ahead at this point, I guess, but um, unless we can find another way to control the pace in a way that makes Pittsburgh uncomfortable, aside from speeding it up, I don't know if that's going to be the way to do it. But speaking of uh, of the Duke game specifically and, um, you know, getting, you were talking about Plumlee might show up at a certain point. He started to for like a game or something. But I, I don't see him making a significant impact. He's a little bit too much of a shrieking violet. And between Cook and Sulon, um, they don't need Plumlee there as much if for no other reason than to just be imposing. Cook and Suleiman are extremely good distributors. Um, the rest of the team, not so much, but Cook and Suleiman are extremely good distributors, and they know when Plumlee's open and when he's not, or when he's able to catch the ball and when he's not. They've got pretty good vision with that, and they haven't been passing to him a lot just because it's not his game. Um, but that's why, like you were saying, um, the other three guys, Dawkins, Parker, and Hood, have been shooting lights out because they've been getting good looks from their distributors. Yeah, if I can go back to uh, Dawkins a little bit, um, I think one way that Syracuse can help neutralize his impact, because obviously his, his minutes have been ramped up a little bit recently, and he had a huge game uh, yesterday, uh, Monday, because you all be listening to this on Wednesday. Um, he's had a lot of trouble on defense, so if he starts letting, you know, Ennis into the lane or, or doesn't get over uh, on Cooney, um, if we can store and, and make Dawkins work on that into the tour, I think Chichester uh, will be a little more uh, reluctant to put him out there for all that much time. So I think that's the guy that uh, I'm sure Bayheim will be looking to go after because he has had major struggles on defense. I completely agree there. I guess redirecting, and then we're just going to jump around um, on this podcast. Um, bracketology. Not that uh, not that we're counting our chickens or anything, but uh, people are definitely, you know, projecting a lot of things already. And uh, Syracuse has been firmly in that, um, you know, East Bracket playing through Buffalo and Madison Square Garden potentially um, with Arizona kind of on the – the West line is the number one seed overall. Um, beyond those two teams, I think a lot of people see um, Syracuse and Arizona as um, as potential Final Four teams. Um, Lisa, we'll start with you. Who are the who are the two teams outside of those um, those two that, that you could see potentially getting to Dallas? Um, I have to go with Michigan State at the moment because I know they're not healthy right now, but they weren't season-ending injuries. Um, wasn't there Wasn't there one of their players who got mad watching himself play film and he broke his hand because he punched something? Yeah, that was... Uh, it was Dan Dodge's fault. I don't remember exactly who it was. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was yeah, something completely mature that you would absolutely expect from, you know, a college kid. So the, they're not season-ending injuries, though, so presuming that they're able to recover and have their entire roster... Um, by the time the tournament rolls around, Tom Izzo is just too good of a coach. I'm sorry. He gets that team ready. He gets them to peak every single time they're in the tournament, and they just roll. They roll through everyone. They roll over everyone. And it's not necessarily a function of how good Michigan State is relative to the rest of the field. I do think a lot of that has to do with just the way that Tom Izzo coaches his kids. I really think that's a significant portion of it because they're never – even though Michigan State is you know, it's a good team – they just rise to the occasion, to use, you know, a ridiculous cliche, but they just rise to the occasion every time they're in the NCAA tournament. And when they have any talent, when they have any kind of ability, they're going to go farther. So Michigan State's probably in my final four. And then for another team, um, I might go Duke, to be honest, just because they've started, it appears that they've gotten themselves figured out. And if all of them are going to fire on their cylinders and they're looking at the trifecta of scoring for Parker, 
Hood and Dawkins, if they keep it up, they're starting to gel. They weren't really gelling as well. I think it was hard for them to figure out the identity and the role of everybody on the team. And not only have they figured it out, but I think they're starting to enjoy it. Um, between Cook and Suleiman being the distributors, but also being the explosive small guys, relatively small, who can drive, um, they like to do that and then dish out a lot. And they're dishing out to guys who can shoot. And that's fun for them because it's a surprise. It's a fun play. It ends up being on a highlight reel and they've enjoyed it, and they've started to figure themselves out. So when a team starts and come together at this point in the year, they don't normally slump after that. And that's why I think Duke's going to go a little bit farther. Dan, yourself? Um, I also like the Michigan State pitch. Um, Izzo just does so many great things in the tournament, even when he doesn't have a top team, that this year his team is – you know, coming into the season, everyone thought they'd be in the top three or so, and they've they've stumbled a couple times. They're actually having some trouble with uh, Iowa here down the stretch, but it looks like they're going to pull it out. Um, that you know, I just don't tend to bet against Izzo when he has a really good team. Uh, Kansas is going to be terrifying by the end of the year. I'm so wor- I'd be so worried if we had to face them uh, after a full season of of uh, of their their freshmen getting you know used to the college game. Um, there's a, uh, I don't know. There's there, it's so, there's so many teams that that look good from week to week. Um, obviously, uh, I, I've said on Twitter. I think the last team I want to face in the tournament. Obviously, I don't, I don't know if they're a Final Four team. Probably not. But uh, I just wouldn't want to face them as Creighton. Um, they're exactly that. Please God yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> like. I can only I have like a nightmares of Doug McDermott just parking on the foul line and hitting like uh you know, eighteen foot jumpers for days and then we try to double down on him or, or bear down on him and then Rad uh Raddy's just hanging out on the perimeter. It's just the foul not, line. I'm not I don't worried know. about the foul line when he's gonna just go off from half court. He's just he's just gonna have it all night long, that's all he's gonna do. Or that nightmares. <laughs> just seems like that that's a team that has just the offensive weapons to really do the the things they need to do against the zone if they if they drew it up well. On defense I think they'd struggle against us, but you know, that that three point shooting on that team is crazy. Um and then Florida. Florida looks really good. Uh they've kind of snuck their way up to number three in the country, which I didn't realize until I just opened it up. Um and another this one another one of those teams that, that uh Donovan gets them to the deep in the tournament almost every year it feels like. So they're another one uh that you know, it's kind of crept up here, and and Prather's just playing unbelievable basketball. So, I think there's a lot of teams though. I, I, anyone that's in the top like 15 right now, aside from maybe like Cincinnati, I think is a legitimate contender to make it uh, make it to Dallas. I mean, I think there's a lot of. Um, I mean, outside of Syracuse, and Arizona, obviously, there, there are a lot of teams that that could really do some damage. Um, and over the past like seven years or so, we've had a, we've had one team repeat from the Final Four uh, the previous year. Um, I'm hoping that's Syracuse, but if it's not, I think it's Michigan. Um, Michigan seems to be clicking like a lot of people thought they would be at the beginning of the season, and they've really kind of rounded into form. Um, and I actually like them a lot better than I do Michigan State, even at, even healthy. Um, I think we just hit the nail on the head with Duke. I think they're, they're gaining steam, and whether they win the ACC or not from um, the tournament, I don't, I don't really think that's going to matter. I think if they can play themselves and should be able to play themselves into a top two seed. Um, I, I think that'll that will set them up nicely. Um, I'm really concerned about a lot of the teams currently sitting on like those projected four lines right now. Um, I mean, Duke's kind of there, but I know they're going to move up. Creighton's hanging around that four seed spot. Um, if San Diego State drops a game or two, maybe they are in that four seed spot, and I don't like that at all because they're a very good rebounding, very good defensive team. Um, who else have I seen there? I've seen Kentucky there. I don't want to face them. Louisville, same deal. Um, not to say, I mean, this is, again, this is typical. The sky is falling. Syracuse fan who spent the first two years at SU not making the tournament. Um, so this is kind of where I come from when it comes to these things. But um, I do, it's not that I think we are going to lose those games, but I do see a lot of, Either problematic matchups or, you know, tougher than normal for a four-seed matchup. I think, like Dan was saying earlier, you know, like top, like, 15, 16 teams, like, there's, there's a lot of potential for, um, 
for some Final Four trips. I think the problem is outside of the top probably two or three, I think everyone's like fairly evenly matched, and that can become a problem for one seeds when you know in the Sweet 16 they're facing somebody that could have conceivably been a two seed if if the cards had fallen just a bit differently. Um, I, I do think though that the what should be home court advantage in Buffalo and Madison Square Garden at least uh, does us some favors against the right teams. If that team is Connecticut or that team is Michigan or another, you know, alumni base that has a pretty solid um, New York City showing, then maybe it's a different story. But but if we can luck into, you know, like a a Western school or or, or further Midwest school, like Great Plains school, in that spot, I think we'd actually uh, we'd, we'd see a very very sizable advantage. But I know I'm definitely getting ahead of myself there. That's all right. That's, uh, that's the name of the game. We like to do that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'll take Villanova again if they want to come play. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know, if, though. I, I think they might want to avoid us. And UConn's been. Uh, UConn's been. I was afraid of them in the beginning of the year, and and they've been kind of up and down just a little bit, and and a couple of their players have just not been doing as well recently. That was while I was worried about them in the beginning of the year. I'll I'll take UConn. I'll take UConn right now, just for the sheer excitement of the fact that when we beat them, they're going to be so defeated. It would be amazing. I felt the same way. I like I caught. I actually was at one of their really early games in Maryland, and like Napier and Boatwright looked. You know, they're they're good, but then they just there are nights where they just get nothing from anyone else, and they're just not good. Like exactly. on a, any given night, UConn's like a pretty good team or an awful team. And I could see the zone just like I, I could see Napier going for twenty five and then ending up with like sixty total points. And that's what's unfortunate because last last season when Syracuse played UConn, um, I actually went to that game. They only played once in Connecticut, and I went to the game by myself, might I add, because I am a super fan, and I was utterly appalled at how Syracuse just could not contain Baz and Boat. By the way, that's what they're called now. They could not contain the two of them at all. And it's not like they were brand new players. They knew how to go against them and for whatever reason it just didn't work. And I kind of you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind getting another shot at them. Not that I have any say in who plays who or, or how teams are prepared or how we would play against them because it's certainly not my ass on the court. But I would love to get another chance at the two of them. I was I just like to say John one more time before <laughs> the uh American Athletic Conference disadvantage starts Starts ramping up because I think that I think you're, I mean I do think you're going to see that in in that program in particular um, as as they kind of you know shift from being in the premier conference in college basketball to being in what's essentially in, you know an also ran mid major that's that that could I love that you know, that's phenomenal oh it's the best but at the same time like you're looking at a league that. That could maybe get three, four in a good year. They're pretty much a glorified Atlantic Ten or, uh, you know, Missouri Valley Conference um, in, from previous years. And, and and I'm curious to see how that impacts recruiting going forward. I know a lot of UConn fans claim that 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 it's not. And you know, right now, I, I think it's going to take maybe five years for that to happen because I think right now the perception of UConn is still what it was. But I'm no, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. The recruiting's been suffering recently. I don't know how much of that is because Calhoun's gone, but I, th- I think their recruiting has is, is kind of dwindled just a little bit. I think – I don't know how long it'll take, like you said, John, but I think there's just an inevitable thing where if a school's making one-tenth of the recruiting rivals every year, like I think the ACC is at like $22 million and the AAC is at like $2 million, uh, they're just not going to be able to compete on some levels. And it'll time will tell what those levels are, whether it's recruiting that suffers or, or facilities or just a whole combination of, of all of those things. But like when one school is making $20 million per year to reinvest in their programs, Something they're going to have some major advantages, and that's going to be a big impact for UConn. Yeah, and I think you know, I think with a lot of their fans, it's not even you know, like not even being an asshole. It's it's really just it's facing facts. Like 
you guys can be a very, a very, very good high mid-major. And, like, at some point, like, you don't have the local recruiting base to amplify that. And you, like, you don't have – you have too many other resurgent programs in the area. You have – like, I remember for years growing up on Long Island seeing seeing them come in and, you know, grab the best kids out of Long Island. And you don't see that anymore already. And I think you're going to see, you know, more and more of that kind of migration toward the, a, the ACC and Big Ten and even Big East schools. Um, and it's going to kind of be – it's going to be an issue for UConn. There's still going to be a factor in college basketball, obviously, but I, I do see things kind of shifting, and I'm just curious when it happens and, and if UConn can, can avoid becoming, like, a better version of uh, the State University of New Jersey. Curious and excited. Simultaneously. <laughs> Simultaneously. Is it bad that I kind of consider them to be like the Wichita State of their conference? Because Louisville's gone. Like, I don't consider Louisville part of that conference at all. So to the extent that Wichita State kind of runs Missouri Valley, like, they don't – they just run over people. I feel like UConn's the same. They kind of just will eventually start – they will be the ones or at least one of the teams that just run over people. And, and it's going to be ridiculous because – I remember the season that Gonzaga was undefeated or something crazy like that and entered as a one seed in the NCAA tournament uh, last year, the year before, and then they lost in the first round or something because they played in whatever conference they play in that I can't even remember because it's Gonzaga. And same with, like, Missouri Valley Conference and Wichita State. They might end up undefeated, which is a story in and of itself, but because they play in the Missouri Valley – they'll end up not really playing anyone, getting a really high seed because they're undefeated, and then they flop. Kind of like UConn, I really see them being that kind of, you know, you're always in the topic of conversation, but because you play in a ridiculously terrible conference, you're never going to be able to get yourself tested enough to do well at the extra levels. Yeah, I see them I see them getting a little bit of a step up from that. Because you know what, right now I think they've had a head start on – if it had started on schools like Temple and Memphis, um, as far as being a high major, and I think you're going to see kind of UConn go down a little bit, Temple and Memphis in particular um, come up a little bit, and then obviously Cincinnati can still, um, you know, recruit really well, picking up the scraps from Ohio State and some of the other schools in the Midwest. Um, so I think I think that's a solid base four right there. But beyond that, I think there's there's an incredibly steep drop-off um, in that league. And, and that's assuming that all four of those schools are, are always are always at the top of their game. Um, so I do want to see what happens there, if there was a course correction, if we see Cincinnati and UConn sort of fall down to those two schools or whether it ends up being a tiered system of, you know, UConn and Cincinnati, then Memphis and Temple – and then, like, a mix of some other schools in there. I mean, SMU is definitely improving quite a bit. Houston has been inc- improving quite a bit. ECU is actually making some noise on the recruiting trail because there's a lot of talent down in the Carolinas, and, you know, they're not all going to end up at UNC and uh, Duke. Why can't you let me throw shade, John? I just wanted to throw some shade on UConn. You're totally bursting I, my I, bubble. I, we throw plenty of shade. I, I just, I just also <laughs> like to throw some realism in there. <laughs> All right, I suppose it's allowed. Plus, plus, I mean, the ECU Pirates are, are, are the favorite, like, mid-major school of this blog since, since Dan and there I. There's a while where we talked about ECU every week for no reason. <laughs> I don't know. I Our think Georgetown's creeping season. up on that UConn, uh, on that mid-majorness with UConn. Well, Georgetown's is bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's really unfortunate in the best possible way. I mean, when you start Nate Blubitt for like four years, something has to give. Like, you can't I'm keep here, on starting you, oh. Blubitt for years and expect to eventually, like, eventually something's going to be like, the, the, like John said, it's going to be a tourist direction where the basketball jobs are going to be like, this guy is still starting. He's, he's been around forever. Yeah, he's, and he, Oh, does he have, how many points does he have in his career? Like twenty? <laughs> He's been Maybe there on a good day. Oh you know, god! To be honest, the first time I the first time I saw him play, I was like, "Wait, what is this Notre Dame guy doing on Georgetown?" 
the big oafy white guy is playing for Georgetown? Isn't that Notre Dame's MO? I was so confused. And then I saw that they just cloned um, Luke Harringody into Jack Cooley and did, you know, so obviously they didn't have room for Nate Lubick. But I was like, wait a minute, what is this Notre Dame guy doing on a completely different roster? It just doesn't make sense. And, yes, he started for the last, you know, the better part of the decade. My favorite was, I think, two years ago when uh, when Porter was, like, not quite – he was a freshman, so they weren't quite sure if he was going to be able to handle it. So they stuck Nate Lubitsch at that, like, free throw line, uh, triple threat position and into the zone, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Just, like, the dude just didn't know what, what you know, part of the court he was on, and he would take – he just brick jumpers or throw intercepted passes to the post. It was uh, incredible. <laughs> or get inbound passes, bopped off the back of his back. That, that was great. too. That was great. All right, and on that note, um, halftime. So that means we're talking about booze. Um, Lisa, you're the rookie. Uh, what did you drink last week? Beer, liquor, wine, otherwise? Well, I try to maintain some semblance of normalcy when I go to watch games. So I try not to be the chick at a random bar ordering wine because that's awkward. But since I've broken barriers or otherwise diversified the news magician readership, we're going we're gonna to do a little bit more pushing. So, ladies and gents, hold on to your hats. Um, I know you guys like to talk about beer, and that'll be great. So we're going to talk about wine over here, and we're going to do that for the gentlemen who have women in their lives that they need to impress or women that they want to surprise. We're going to give them the inside scoop on some wine especially because I happen to like wine from your neck of the woods, John, so you might be able to speak to some of it. Um, for those who like red wine, I am your gal, and for those who like white wine, you have terrible taste. So the wine that I was actually drinking this week was a Dave Matthews wine. How many of us knew that Dave Matthews had a wine? Seeing no hands, I will continue. Um, it's called the Green and Tree. It's the brand of wine that Dave Matthews created with one of his other friends, and they only have a couple kinds out, but my favorite is Crush. As in, yes, it's, it's really kind of ridiculous. Dreaming Tree and Crush are names of his albums and his songs, um, but it's a red blend, and it's pretty cheap. It's, it's not that expensive for a bottle of wine. It's 15 bucks a bottle, and it's really good. It's probably one of my top five favorite wines, and it is from Northern Cali, which gives phenomenal red wines. So if you're trying to impress your girl without spending an arm and a leg, pick yourself up some green tree wine, go for crush. And if you want to go straight up for uh, a non-blend, because that's a blend, you can go for the Sean Minor Pinot Noir, which is also incredibly smooth. It's got a lot of um, floral hints in it, which are delicious for wine, because normally they make you feel like you're chewing on cotton balls. And it's not the case with these two wines. They're incredibly refreshing. Um, they're easy to drink, which is nice, so you can liquor your ladies up with more than one glass, um, and I highly recommend the two of them. I'm looking on the Internet now, and I'm disappointed to find out that not all of his wines have uh, have Dave Matthews' song puns with them, just like two. <laughs> they don't. They don't. They don't. <laughs> Isn't that the only reason you would have a winery if you were, if you were any sort of celebrity? I just feel you. Personally, my entire repertoire would right now be Syracuse-related puns for wine. I, like think your Dave, Dave I think Dave was trying to be. I think he's trying to be a little bit more uh, legitimate. So he wants you to have the familiarity of knowing that it's his wine. But he's like, "Oh, I'm better than that. I'm going to actually name it what it is, like Cabernet." No, Dave, just stick with what you're good at. So many possibilities there. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> Not that I was a big Dave fan to begin with, but more that in general. I, I just I hold I hold everyone to a high standard when it comes to puns, and and to see him not take full advantage is just such a missed opportunity. He's South African. He can't help it. That's fair. <laughs> but thank you for classing up the podcast. Lisa. I mean, not that we drink you know, water-flavored swill around here either. You don't. I, I I've heard that you drink remarkable beer. I just have no idea. I have nothing to gauge it against, so I, you know, I'm taking your word for it. 
Well, I do drink like, I mean, this is just a typical asshole beer snob comment. I do drink like $28 bottles of beer. So. Really? Yeah. This is not too. This is not to upset the the fans of water flavored swill out there that are listening to the podcast. Yeah, I'm sure there's. there's you guys there's don't talk about it. <laughs> no, I, I I've drank. If if I'm in a situation where I want to be drinking all night and not and drinking beer, then I'm drinking PBR. I mean, still not like you know natty light, and I'm never going near that stuff again after like sophomore year at SU, but. For 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 the most part, like I mean, I, I'm not not going to drink things like PBR and well, hopefully not Corona. Usually, if you can find Corona around here, you can find Pacifico, which is the much preferred alternative. They don't have Pacifico on the East Coast, I don't think, do they? Dan, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen it. It's so because good. I, I mean, well, not as so good. Chick who likes wine, I like Corona. So, for if you are insulting the Corona space, I need to know what's better than that. I hate Corona. <laughs> I, I think if, if you can't drink something without a lime in it, <laughs> then, then there's a severe issue with the uh, no fruit in beer. You're not supposed to put fruit here. Like that whole thing is just marketing. It, but it, I just it tastes... find that I can't I can't enjoy any any bit of a Corona without a lime. But Pacifico, I can I can drink no problem without a lime. That's good to know. It's my own personal preference. Uh, Dan, what did you drink? Uh, kind of a boring week. A couple of these in a row now, so I apologize to everyone. Um, I was drinking. Uh, I went out with my dad last. Night. Uh, I was drinking Smithwicks, which I do occasionally. Um, just as the bar was kind of limited in options. Uh, still drinking a lot more local stuff. Um, Half Full Brewery, Two Roads Brewery, some good did, uh, locals. Um, I'm, gonna try, I'm definitely getting out to the city this weekend for the Duke game, so if you're going to be at the... Uh, you are? Yes. So if anyone, you're out who else is going. Yeah, we're... Uh, oh, hey. I think we're party at a big thing at Social on 48th and 8th, so I think uh, there will be a good amount of Chiefs fans there. I know they're doing a big thing for the Duke game, so... Excited for that, and they have a very good selection. So, I'll hopefully, have more to report on next week. Well, fair enough. I uh, greatly look forward to it. A um, couple of my choices here. Um, grabbed a uh, Hopulent IPA from Epic Brewing uh, the other day. Walked down to the Venice Beach and back. It was a nice, uh, nice seven-mile walk down. In the uh, polar vortex, Santa Monica, where it's like 65 degrees right now. I feel so bad for you. Yeah, I know. I posted a really mocking fingers, photo on Facebook. My fingers didn't warm up until about 15 minutes ago. Just going to point that out. You can take your warm weather and, you know, shove it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. there's a reason I'm <laughs> here. Um, some other choices. Uh, Stone's Double Bastard Ale. Like arrogant bastard, this is a more aggressive version of that. Um, also had for the first time Kentucky Breakfast Stout. Um, for those who are familiar with uh, Founders Breakfast Stout, this is an even better version of that with Kentucky bourbon. Interesting. Who, who brews that? Wait, how does that work? Is there bourbon in your beer, or do you drink it at breakfast? I'm very confused. Well, the, well, the bourbon aged. So, like, so what they do is they brew the beer and then usually age it in bourbon barrels. So does it have a higher Perfect. alcohol content? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, and those have, that's like, the a, nice bourbon smokiness to them. You get that nice kind of bourbon taste at the end. It's uh, 11, 11% alcohol, so definitely a, definitely a pretty solid selection if you're, if you're not planning on, like, driving immediately afterwards. <laughs> you should never drive would, immediately afterwards. That's what Uber is for. Shameless plug, Uber. I live in a city that is that, that is not public transportation or Uber as Uber centric. Los Angeles is all about driving yourself to and from everything, so you always have to take <laughs> that into consideration. But 
moving on. I think we've covered off on all the booze for now. I know um, I'll take a look at Dave Matthews' wine and see if it's anything worth, worth snagging the next time I'm at the store. Just reading it does not tell you whether it's worth it. You just need to give it a shot. And for $15 a bottle, it's really not going to be a huge waste. Just going to point that out. I don't buy anything mm-hmm. else. Like I, I, I do some extensive reviews. It's usually it's usually reading five to seven websites to figure out whether I want the, the, the beverage or not. Oh, please. Ain't nobody got time for that. Oh, I've got time for that. <laughs> Since I'm already married, I don't have to worry about impressing anyone either. <laughs> she already knows this is exactly what I'm doing at the store. I'm reading Beer Advocate and also comparing it to untapped reviews. And that I'm seeing if I actually want the beer. So that's how you do it. Yep. See, my my place locally has the beer uh, the beer advocate reviews right on the on the little pad, which is awesome. Lucky. Anyway, so what haven't we covered here? I feel like we did a really nice job of covering last thing. We should we, we should jump back into Duke. Uh, not Duke, sorry, Wake Forest, since we. We pretty much decided we, we, to ignore that in the opening part. So we get another we get another late tip off uh, tomorrow slash today since everyone will be listening on Wednesday, um, which is awesome except for the fact that it's on ESPN three. So most of us won't be watching, myself included. Wait, um, where is it? ESPN three. Or ACC some people, yeah, some people will get it, like on their local broadcast. But there's a lot so of there's plenty of people who have a computer to watch it. Usually, so if if your area is picked up by the RSN, you should be able to. I know, like Sean tweeted out earlier today, um, a list of all the the places it can be found. All right. Well, for those of us who are similar to Sean and haven't had cable in the last seven years, when something is on ESPN3, it guarantees that I can watch it, so I'm okay with it. That's a plus. I, uh, I, don't, I didn't look at the list to see if I could watch it. There's some potential for it, I guess. But since it's my wife's birthday tomorrow, I will be out to dinner. Well, happy birthday to the wife. Yep. We're old. 26. John? That's enough. We do this all the time. I just have to study. I'm I'll one of the youngest people the on Matt, the site besides the, Dan. Now I'll take the Matt McCluskey portion of the program where I'm like, look, we're old. <laughs> we're going to tell you that we're old. We remember John Wallace. We, we used to hang out with John Wallace. Back when he actually played on the team. For 1996. So no, you don't get to play that card. No old cards for you. That's fair. I'm older than Dan, so there's nothing younger yeah, so around. Also <laughs> fair. Except from the occasional uh, Andy Predler uh, cameo, I think I am the youngest one. I've been so for like four years now. <laughs> the addition of myself has probably not helped the age bracket. Totally fine. I don't think age is A, a number, and B, I don't think it has any impact on fandom. Accurate. Accurate statement, Philip. Unless you're one of the people that are emailing com saying that uh, having new football jerseys makes you a not a classy program. Why do people watch football if everything about it pains you to death? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Leave it alone. Leave it to the rest of us who know how to be a fan. I don't know. I've asked my question myself that question many times. Well, the other question I think that we uh, we ask relatively frequently, at least recently, is uh, when is this team finally going to lose in the scariest way imaginable because they've been starting off with such stellar records that for them to be undefeated going into a game like Wake Forest is a little bit scarier than I would have liked. There's a lot 
there's a little bit more riding on it than I would have anticipated. Uh, I watched Wake. I'm not that afraid of them, um, just from what I've seen. But it does feel like like we're right about that time. Um, although the the whole Duke thing on on Saturday kind of feels almost inevitable at this point, where it would be kind of a, a huge letdown if Syracuse wasn't undefeated heading to that team. Yeah, but then again, if they are headed into that game undefeated, you realize that if they beat Wake on oh, okay today Wednesday. Um, they'll be 20-0, and they will have been tied for the best start in school history. So heading into the Duke game, they will be tied for starting the season the best possible way they could, and they will face Duke at home with that on the line with the potential to have the best start in Syracuse University basketball history. So in addition to the added pressure of being in a new conference, facing a powerhouse mm-hmm. like Duke with a mammoth coach like Coach K. Not only that, but let's add a little bit of pressure that if you win this game, you're going to have the best start in school history. I don't I don't know. I need someone to pop the balloon. It's just a little bit too much pressure. Sorry, I just imagine Coach K is a mammoth. It's kind of fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to me, the best start in school history thing doesn't matter. It in doesn't, honesty, but it's just another addition. It's another storyline that people are going to harp on. It's another That's T-shirt right. that they're going to make. Oh, I haven't had a T-shirt yet uh, of, like, a, a record T-shirt, which always annoys me. Like, why are you going to make a T-shirt when something hasn't even, like, like, we're not even at the end of the season? Let me get a 20-0 and T-shirt like they did a couple of years ago. That's, oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, so why would you make a 20-0 T-shirt? I mean, you're going to make a 21-0 and T-shirt? <laughs> like, when does it end? It never ends, John. That's the answer. It never ends. I've actually been disappointed in the SU marketing machine lately. Like, I was expecting more T-shirts. Like, the Texas Bowl T-shirts sucked. It was only There was only one design, first of all. And it was in blue. Yeah. Really? Like, the Pinstripe Bowl one was in blue. And, like, I, I got that one because there was, like, three or four different ones. Like, this year, there was only one T-shirt, and it was bad. So I just didn't even bother. I felt like we were all there. We did help send kids. We had our, our we they were our uh, our placeholders. We were all we were all there. And those <laughs> kids were from Minnesota. They were sure not. We there were twenty kids right that were from Minnesota. Were they interviewed kids who were rooting for them. I know, I know. I'm pretending it didn't happen. I, 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 I wish like the kid like I wish he wrote an article on SB Nation. I would have commented underneath. Who sent you to the game? <laughs> But that's, yeah, not right. what it's, that's not what it's about. It didn't matter who they rooted for at the end of the day. What's up, Ben? It would have been the most awful thing if uh, someone just ripping on these kids for not rooting for the <laughs> appropriate team to care about. That's, that, that sounds like a very Internet thing to do, though. Oh, it would have It, it does, happened. but it's like, don't you Internet people have a soul? Don't rip on kids, yeah. please. Internet people don't have souls. We discussed this in the comments, but I... If, if you had to choose between rooting for Georgetown, if, if you were told if you don't root for Georgetown, kids and puppies will will be harmed, the general consensus was, well, first question, who do the kids and puppies belong to? Because if it's Georgetown <laughs> alums or students, oh, well. Don't, don't equate that because I'm going to have to agree with all of them. Oh, I agree, too. I was, I was championing the cause. That's fantastic. No point in endorsing being a being a very good person on the internet because there's a million people who will comment under said said uh, championing that you don't that you don't need to bother. This falls on deaf ears. Yep. You know what else apparently fell on deaf ears in recent events was um, Notre Dame's defense. Because they decided to not show up against Wake Forest, they they fell asleep. There was so much fun. They, there were they couldn't catch a pass to save their lives. And I don't think Wake Forest is that much better of a team, but for whatever reason, they were way more poised, mature. They looked older than they actually were, and 
they were able to draw a foul on almost every single drive. Almost every drive, they were able to draw a foul. And that it kind of worries me. Only Not that the, the drives against Syracuse's zone are that common or that significant, because driving the zone, you know, is pretty much a, a suicide mission for the most part. But it's hard to envision how it's going to play out against Syracuse when a team like Notre Dame, which is historically a relatively good, relatively good team, cannot keep from fouling Wake Forest on the drive. I don't know what you guys saw if you watched Notre Dame and Wake Forest play, but I watched the Notre Dame, Notre Dame game specifically because I wanted to watch Wake Forest against a team that I understood. And since I understand Notre Dame, Wake Forest worried me. And those particular aspects, and especially the uh, aside from you know the driving, but the catches and the paint are, are kind of starting to worry me, a la CJ Fair. So it, I don't know what you guys thought. Did you guys see the same thing? Um, I only saw a bit of that game. I, I'm it's I'm just more struck by how how sloppy Notre Dame has been this year. I'm not awfully worried about Wake. Um, they don't shoot particularly well. Teron Williams is really their only big. Not that this means that there won't be a guy who comes off the bench and it's like six threes, but they're not like <laughs> that gonna really load it up from out the outside. Um, and I think if you just keep Cody Miller and McIntyre out of the lane, I think we're it's going to be um it's going to be a pretty pretty I don't know I don't think it's a good matchup for Wake against Syracuse I just don't think that they have that type of team but you know everyone's been keeping it close with SU so in the last couple of weeks so I'm not expecting it to blow them out down there or anything I just I don't know I, I don't see it being the t- a, a team that's going to knock us off when they have that bit of a talent deficit right like if we can avoid fouls uh, I mean they they, they shoot reasonably well from the line. If we can avoid fouls, and I mean, if they're going to go five for 17 or roundabouts from three every game, I don't really care. I mean, you can shoot you can shoot five or 17 from three all you want. Like, I, I think that's as well worth it as just giving up on. But, Dan, you did hit on a good point, and that is um, Syracuse is not scoring lately. Um, it's, it's definitely a concern of mine, and it's starting to creep back into you know, the same territory as last year. Uh, and we haven't scored more than 72 points since the Villanova game. Uh, we've only scored se- over 75 twice since, uh, like, right before Christmas. Uh, so this isn't, I mean, this isn't a high-scoring team by any means. We're, we're continually plummeting down the, like, points-per-game um, rankings, which don't matter in the big scheme of things. But um, at the same time, like, I am worried about, you know, a, a game like Wake that they can score points if called upon. Duke can do the same thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there are, I think that there are teams left on the schedule that, that can score on us, and we're going to have to rise to the occasion and score more than 65 to 68 points. And I think come the tournament, I, I think it's essential that we score more than 65 to 68 points, especially, you know, with, with the new rules in, in play. Um, that, that we're we're not going to see the same kind of bruising games that we saw um, in last year's tournament by any stretch. Thank God. <laughs> Hopefully, the team can start getting a little bit better on the break. Uh, I, I know that it's not the same team as last year, but um, our team this year gets maybe not quite as many. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Not quite as many steals. I, it doesn't feel like, but they still turn teams over a lot. We just don't seem to have that that speed or that like gliding player like Carter Williams who's able to get up the floor. Um and we end up settling a lot for, for just running back into the half court sets. Um if we just get a little bit more uh, efficient uh on the fast break, I think it would make a, t- a ton of difference. And with that, um I think we'll wrap up. I know the condescending British woman is gonna start counting us out. Oh, I wanna hear her. I'm so excited about it. We've already heard it twice now. It's it's such a it's such a race against time. I think only John hears her, her countdown, but then if we get cut off, we'll all hear her. Oh, well, on that Good case. point. Yeah, John so Hodger all To update you guys, I, I hear condescending British women at the 90-second mark. John gets harassed on the reg. Yeah, pretty much. So anyway, uh, I want to thank you guys for joining me tonight, especially you, Lisa. I know this isn't your typical gig, but it was great to have you on. Thank you for having me. 
And so, everyone, for Syracuse Sports Week and Drink, here on the Troy Noons and Absolute Magician Podcast Network, I'm John, that was Lisa and Dan. Go Orange! At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. 